As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by JJ Bull the Bullet. Hello, JJ. Hello, Joe Devine. I'm remote. We're all you remote. are remote. We're all remote today uh, because uh, it's deadline day, big day in football land, and um, the wonderful journalists of The Athletic are using our video studio today to live stream all of the large events occurring. That's right, listeners. You might not know that uh, although you can enjoy TIFO Football on YouTube, TIFO IRL on YouTube, you can also enjoy The Athletic UK on YouTube, where there are various, uh, often video versions of some of the excellent podcasts that are recorded by The Athletic's UK network. And uh, occasionally, if you're lucky, you'll catch a glimpse of the wonderful Adam Leventhal. So it is worth popping over there to The Athletic UK's YouTube channel. Now, I'll come back to talk about The Athletic more later. I've, I've preemptively entered a plug mode. But, uh, of course, before I do that, I should say, Ah, guten Tag, Herr Stafford Bloor. Wie geht's du? <laughs> guten Morgen, Herr Devine. Mir geht's is good. Mir geht's is good. That's correct, Seb. It is a guten Morgen, because there's a lot of football for us to uh, talk about today, including... Ed Woodward finally stepping down as the Executive Vice Chairman of Manchester United to be replaced by Richard Arnold. We'll come to discuss that in today's episode, as well as Frank Lampard becoming the Everton manager. That's, you know, in some ways I'm glad he finally got a job, so he wasn't linked with every possible job that has ever come up ever. So that's going to be nice. Get the man off the carousel, that's what I say. AFCON happened as well. The quarterfinals... Sets up some very exciting semi-finals for Wednesday and Thursday, so we'll be talking about those and looking forward to that. And of course, uh, a bunch of transfers have happened and or might happen and or might not happen after we talk about them. So we will be doing that today, as well as coming finally to discuss Canada. Huh? Da-da-da-da-da-da, Canada. Having a good time of things. At the moment, they beat the USA. They beat the USA. Not a big deal or anything, but uh, they did beat the USA. Very funny stuff. Uh, and if you like very funny stuff, then maybe you shouldn't visit The Athletic, uh, because The Athletic it does have some funny stuff, but most of the stuff is just very good and very informational stuff. I wouldn't categorize it as primarily very funny. It, I, it's not, I wouldn't primarily describe it as funny. Its, its main function is to provide you, the user, with incredible insight into football, your teams, or other teams, or other sports, all of the best journalists. And guess what? You get a 30-day free trial to try that out. And that is something to laugh about, because it's good. Um, 
So that's theathletic.com <laughs> forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Just for a wonderful time. All right. I will leave you now in the warm hands and the cool embrace of uh, Canada. Well, I'll leave you in their hands later. For now, I'll leave you in the warm hands of the cool embrace of Richard Arnold. Who's he? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. to begin than uh, well probably lots of other places but where else would we begin today in this instance than with uh, the news Seb Stafford Bloor of Ed Woodward stepping down as executive vice chairman of Manchester United after close to a decade nearly made the decade mark there can't imagine how big that party would have been in the staff office I actually don't know I'm sh- I've heard very charming I'm sure people people like him but um, not lots of Man United fans <laughs> not lots no, 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 not not lots. And I, I think one of the things about the new promised Richard Arnold era is that uh, Richard Arnold is on record as saying that uh, if he tries to take too much of an interest or exert too much influence over football matters at the club, Manchester United will be relegated. And that's kind of inadvertently apt because it seems as if had Edward would um, had a wouldn't necessarily describe it as humility, but um, less of a desire to be a football man then this near decade might have gone a little bit better because that seems to have been his downfall. Yes, I would agree with that. I mean, in, in fact, we, we did make a video about this, which uh, was released on Tifa IRL yesterday. We were joined by uh, Ollie Kay and Matt Slater uh, to discuss Edward Wood's legacy. And I think one of the main things that came out of that, JJ, or one of the sort of uh, the points that Matt touched on most presciently was... Um, about Edward Wood making that mistake on an investor's call about uh, three or four years ago when he uh, he told investors uh, who were asking about the football results that it didn't really matter what they did on the pitch, or at least that didn't impact what they could do off the pitch. But I think having seen the sort of latest financial results and seeing the position that Manchester United now occupy in the, in the global football landscape, that was wrong, wasn't it? Yes. There we go. Um, yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, all of it's answered, answered or just explained in the video by people who know far more about it, like Ollie Kay and Matt Slater, who's the business man for the Athletic. That's mm. his, that's his title. Uh, explains a lot of the things that I mean. So Edward Bird, we think of him as being a sort of commercial. I don't know if we all think of him as a commercial genius, but this is certainly what um, he's sort of painted as, as he's managed to acquire or procure all these different contracts for United. They have noodle partners and they have mattress partners and all these sorts of things. But he did it in such a way that they wouldn't just have one for one territory. They'd have several in different territories and that's how it worked. Made loads of money. But commercially, I think there was a point where Manchester City, there's some sort of debate over this, have surpassed them in the amount of money they took in. And that's in, terms largely, of re- in terms of total revenue, that's correct. It, yeah. yeah, and a lot of that is down to competitive earnings, right? So it's it, they got to the Champions League final, they win the league, all that sort of stuff. Whereas United have not dropped off a cliff, but they're nowhere near where they were. And so the point in the video is we're looking at what the legacy Woodward has left behind. Like what's he actually managed to achieve? Should he be remembered fondly? Do we forget? Do we misremember what he did? But focus particularly on how awful the recruitment for players was during that time. You can even Very see bad. the just, as well. just list a couple of names there for us, JJ, that some people may have forgotten about. Alexis Sanchez for 350 grand a week plus bonuses plus image rights. Um, Marcus Rojo, 
There was Radamel Falcao was a loan yeah. deal that we talked about. Anthony Martial, of course, who, who who's moved on loan to Sevilla. We'll come to talk about that a little bit later. Um, beyond that, uh, there were players like Di Maria, who unfortunately didn't didn't work out in in England, but um, had a little bit of promise. I mean, uh, Pogba as well, who uh, come the summer is presumably going to leave on a free after being a world record transfer bid. I mean, Seb, I think the the takeaway point here is that United's recruitment over uh, well throughout the Woodward era. Um, despite the fact that they've spent about the same amount of money as Manchester City, it has been dreadful in comparison. Yeah, I, I think the way I look at it is, is is being poorly targeted because I think in the last couple of years, perhaps there's been a little bit more of a, an effort to skew younger and to try and find players who would uh, appreciate in value and then offer a resale value at some point, mm-hmm. kind of your, your, your Daniel James type. But I think for a long time throughout the decade, Manchester United didn't really know what they wanted to do other than to... Uh, court attention by virtue of signing very very famous players and more often than not they weren't quite able to sign the most famous and best player so they had to go a level down to the player that was not notorious but just well known and uh, it it seemed as if at times United's recruitment strategy was just run along almost SEO lines at one point I think of the, the Schweinsteiger summer more than any other just because it was like a who's available that we know of not who's been targeted and who's been identified by our scouts or our non-existent data scientists who only actually started to be appointed a couple of years ago. Uh, who have we heard of? You mm-hmm. know, and it, it's, um, I don't know. It, it seemed like the the old joke about West Ham, which was that yeah, they would sign whoever the uh, the chairman's kids liked on FIFA or, or football manager and be like, dad, 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 have a, have a look at this guy. Yeah. And it was a little bit like that. No, for it wasn't sure. Good. It wasn't good. And um I don't know. It didn't really. If you if you match it also with the recruitment, uh, with with the kind of the coaching recruitment, which seemed to be again on a little bit of a whim and a mix and match of personalities and philosophies, you add in poor recruitment to that, and it kind of multiplies your disaster by two or three. I think. So, yeah. Not good. Not good. Well, you've already mentioned uh, the sort of most famous thing that Richard Arnold appears to have said related to the role so far which is that if he was to be left in charge of uh, footballing decisions, then, uh, you know, Manchester United would be relegated. Second, second most famous thing Richard Arnold said. Ooh, the most the notorious is Richard Arnold was the person who said quite a few years ago now that Manchester United is the world's biggest soap opera, which right. if I was a Manchester United fan, I would not love. I love the determination not to get too involved in football. I think that's a very positive thing. But the kind of the buying in, also Richard Arnold is the name you see generally attached to comments about eyeballs on social media and impressions and that kind of stuff which again as if i was a fan not that wild on i know that mm-hmm. investor calls are very very different and they serve an entirely different purpose to what's supposed to placate a fan base but um still well i suppose i mean there's a bit more of a footballing infrastructure in place than the, than there was Definitely. under most of the wood years there's john murter of course who is who is the footballing director i believe um, Darren Fletcher, I think, is is supposed to be the technical uh, lead, but also appears to be on the bench a lot. What, why, <laughs> did, why, why, why does he? Why does he do that? Why does he? Has anyone heard a justification for why he sits on the bench and seems to have such a, or no. seems to have a little bit of a coaching role? Because that's not what I understood no. by his job description. I'm really not sure at all. It, it's, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a reason for it, but. Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, well, anyway, the point is that at least there is more of a footballing infrastructure in place. Um, it's a bit early to be able to call whether it's been a successful thing or not. We also don't know what kind of consultancy role Ralph Rangnick is going to take um, 
past the point in the summer when a new manager arrives. So perhaps, it, you know, it's the beginning of a new positive era. Um, Matt Slater on the video was keen to point out that Richard Arnold comes from, uh, you know, Ed Woodward's sales department at uh, or the commercial department at Man United. So it's not a branch that's fallen too far away from from the tree, though. This this commercial genius thing, I've got a little bit of a problem with it, just because Manchester United as a, as an entity, as a, an attractive, sponsorable property, kind of speaks for itself. Also, that thing about this is diversity. the point that Matt made in the video, by the way, is that it's all overblown. Yeah, to me, also that that thing about allowing multiple partners from different regions, it's not a new thing. It's something that has been borrowed from other sports and has been in other sports for decades. It feels like the great success in this Man United commercial era has been just to not to be shameless, but to be to 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 have the willingness to fully monetize their inventory, if that makes sense. That's not genius. That's just a kind of a willingness to go to a slightly different territory um, ideologically. Uh, very good job performance. I'm sure it keeps everybody happy. Very strong commercial revenue, absolutely. But genius means things like I don't know, uh, reinventing darts to become the modern spectacle that it is today. That's mm. a kind of commercial genius. Just waiting for something. Seb to reference something that he does on a day to day basis there in description of the uh, the word genius. Is there anything you'd like to say? Having almost a completely shaved head, genius, or uh, being almost, able to wear yeah. fleeces uh, on a daily basis, even throughout uh, the summer. This Genius. Is, this, is, this is well. We are recording like on the final day of January. I feel like sure. you know. I, I'm I'm well, in a different country rather than. A I've of, seen you in a fleece in the summer. That's all I'll say. I've seen you the in a summer fleece. The, the equator. Do you know in those sort of American movies when the wealthy middle class people who live in Virginia go out and sit under a willow tree and a little sort of swing set near their big house? And it's the late summer evening, and they're drinking wine and enjoying each other's company, and they're both wearing fleeces. Yeah, I feel like this is a good time. When I, when I say to you, when I'm in England, oh, I'm off back to Germany now, do you know where I'm going geographically? Because it makes it sound like I, you think is I'm Germany going to Germany where South they America. make all the fleeces? Is that, is that why you moved they there? They do a good trade in fleeces here, but, but there's there, a there good are no German willows fleece trade. in January. You know. <laughs> no idea about the German fleece trade. I'm very... Have you started to buy German clothes now? That was too long of a segue. Lampard, though, I don't know if this is unfair... I don't know why I hate Frank Lampard, but I really hate him. I have no reason to hate him. He hasn't done anything wrong to me. He hasn't wronged me. All he's doing is trying to get a good job. That's fine. But in the same way that I hated Mark Hughes eight years ago, because Mark Hughes was referenced in relation to every single open managerial vacancy, uh, Frank Lampard appears to be one of the sole people these days on that carousel that carousel used to include Mark Hughes Steve Bruce was on it Sam Allardyce was on it Tony Pulis was occasionally on it you know there were always people there or thereabouts David Moyes joined it when he left Manchester United that would would come up as a sort of option for every uh, team every kind of mid-level Premier League team when there was a vacancy and uh, either one of them would be selected and taken off the carousel to live out the next year or two at that club before they hit it again uh, or the carousel would be ignored completely and someone else would come in from from elsewhere Frank Lampard seems to be the sole rider of the carousel these days Seb is that is that a fair thing to say I mean not anymore as Everton manager yeah he also he's one of those guys that seems to have a lot of backing in the media he has a lot of people that are willing to make the case for him whenever yeah. a job comes up and, and that's the, the an essential ingredient for anybody who wants to exist on the carousel because also it allows the conversation to begin and the lobbying to happen before anybody stops to think hang on it's the guy that couldn't coach Chelsea's defence the right yeah. person to cure all the problems at Everton 
Sorry, and just to emphasise that point, the guy that couldn't coach Chelsea's defence, the Chelsea that then, just a few months later, went on to Five have... Five months later. Like, almost not concede league, any goals winners. on the way there and then win the Champions League. Seems a bit odd that you just get to walk into the Everton job. Well, especially so, because if you think about the other two jobs that Frank Lampard has had, you could, whilst underqualified for each of them, you could make a case. So at Derby, yes, he was inexperienced, but you knew if you were appointing him that he was probably going to come with a couple of very useful Chelsea loanees. Mason Mount was there, Fikio Tomori was there, you know, good news. At Chelsea, again, yes, uh, you could say that he wasn't ready to have that job, and I think time proved that to be the case. Having said that, he was a very strong and good influence on some of the young players who were very much part of that Champions League win. Mm. So there was a value to that. And if you chuck in like, sort of the um, the kind of the intangible qualities, like, you know, the, the, the nose, the club stuff, whatever that's worth, uh, a lot of people believe in it. And so a lot of fans were, he was always assured of a certain level of popularity. And unusually for a Chelsea coach, there was always going to be a little bit more patience for him because no one wanted to kill Bambi, did they? Um <laughs> But now at Everton, he doesn't have the value of, well, he's not going to be loaning Reese James and Mason Mount. He's not going to be uh, taking lots of useful loanies from Chelsea, different level of the game. And also he doesn't have all of these intangibles that people seem to believe in. And added to which he is inheriting a club in absolute crisis with all sorts of recruiting issues, all sorts of hierarchical problems and a team that is massively underperforming. And he's doing all of that in the middle of the season, which uh, again is different because he took over Derby and... Chelsea in the summer so he had a full pre-season to work so yeah so I don't get it but is it fair to say it's you know in in his defense to his credit uh, he's in a sort of similar situation to the one that that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was in uh, in the sense that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a decent manager probably not qualified in the long term to take on a team as big as as, as Manchester United um, and uh, only really was qualified to be there on the basis of his uh, sort of historical, uh, you know, legendary status there amongst supporters because of his playing career. And this is the same for for Chelsea at Lampard. You take Solskjaer out of Manchester United, this is not a name being referenced in relation to vacant Premier League jobs. And I think Lampard's, you know, when he started with Derby, I think that is an appropriate and uh, respectable level to to open your uh, your managerial career. Jumping up to Chelsea, obviously, I can understand why Lampard would have done that. He's given the opportunity; it's his team. You know, in many ways, for for many of the supporters of that team, Lampard is the greatest ever player. It's a bit difficult to know where to go now, isn't it? Because if you can, you realistically then take a big drop back down to a, a championship or a League One club. Does that, after you know, being essentially a failure at Chelsea? Does that indicate to other people that you're not ready to be a Premier League coach? Do you start the process of having to work for five or six years again to prove yourself in a difficult landscape? I mean, what were his other options? Other, you know, options that optically at least didn't, didn't look bad. Uh, Norwich, although um, not sure quite how close he ever got to getting that job, but that was uh, someone he was connected with recently. It's a very strange one, Joe. Like I, I, I don't, I, I don't know what happens if he were to. Let's be fair about the Chelsea situation because he did return to the Champions League. That was a good performance and he mm. got a tune out of some, a couple of players who've, who've proven to be excellent players um, under Thomas Tuchel's management. But if it were to go wrong at Everton, then there's no... At Derby, he was able to say, well, it's a difficult climate and um, time proves that Derby is not a, an easy job to take and there's all kinds of issues and Wayne Rooney is certainly finding that out now. Uh, Chelsea, you could say, well, in the second year, the club spent an awful lot of money and introduced a kind of a new element to the water supply after that first year, which when everything had gone well, he, instead of um, 
uh, instead of kind of persevering with that sort of youth first policy or you know, greater faith being placed in kind of academy products, all of a sudden there was 200 million pounds worth of world-class talent uh, dropped into a squad, which is a luxury, but it's also a complication. And it's a complication that probably you only learn to deal with with experience as a coach, I'd imagine. That seems to be what um, the precedents tell us. At Everton, what's the excuse if it goes wrong beyond the things that we know now? He's going to the job with his eyes open and with a very, very clear task ahead. If he doesn't do well here, what, what's then the argument for him getting a job at, I don't know, um, Villa, for instance? Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult, at the moment he's kind of, he's being sustained by the thermals of his playing career a little bit. There are only so many things that can happen before the, the kind of the, the legend starts to evaporate a little bit. So well, I don't JJ, know. I know you, we've talked about this before. You quite uh, like the idea of these managers and these sorts of positions going abroad, finding a team elsewhere. Um, Scotland, not necessarily. I mean, would you call Scotland abroad? No. <laughs> uh, really, do you no. have to cross the sea to go abroad? Probably yes. I think if Lampard had gone to Celtic when that job was available, that would have been a really good move because it proves that you can. Um, establish a team that can win things. This is often the, the, the case that uh, managers come to the Premier League from abroad because they have won trophies or achieved things in other places where it's not that it's easier, but it's just more of a scope to do it. But it proves that you can manage a team that can do that. Like Brendan Rodgers can go to a better team now. He came close to winning with Liverpool, didn't. Um, went to Celtic and then made them like, unbeatable. And so that gives him something the proof that he can say in his CV, oh, well, this is what I've been able to do. I can actually win titles. Steven Gerrard won the League of Rangers, sure enough. But he also, I think it was only like one trophy out of nine that he won with them. Like nine possible trophies he could have won. Uh, he only won one, which is not um, an incredible record. But it, early signs seem to show that he's doing quite well at Aston Villa, which is another one of those teams where you think the manager's only ever going to have like a roughly 42% win rate. That's the kind of thing you'd get at Aston Villa and Everton. And Lampard... Like win percentage rated Derby was forty two percent. Didn't do an amazing job there at all. I don't think they even got. Did they get reached the playoffs? They did, didn't they? they didn't get. They, up. they got beaten in the playoff final by. The, oh, there you go. Yeah, uh, and then Chelsea. The, the part of the thing was that they were quite fun to go forward, and they were quite chaotic in attack, and that was made them entertaining to watch. But they came with absolute lack of defensive structure and the turnovers that happened by having that chaotic attack. Like you want to be free flowing and be able to go forward and constantly pushing teams, so it was fun to watch. And you get all these attacking players that he brought in, people like Ziek and Pulisic. And then they would just lose the ball and they would get turned over and they were let, they were shipping goals that were just you'd think they looks very um, basic. It's the thing that Tuchel fixed immediately was that sort of thing. We'll find out what Lampard's about at Everton. But the thing is that I can't see anyone at Everton getting more than about a 40% win rate. Like Ancelotti was at the highest they've had of late. He was 46 or something. That's one of the best managers of all time. And Lampard's got to take a team that doesn't have very good players at the moment. And Donny van de Beek's come in. Might sound like a good name. But, I mean, there's a reason. It must be a reason he's not played that much at all for Man United under different managers. You know, there's a few that haven't really fancied him. So, well, again, we'll find out about that as well because that's just me going off what other people think. I can only see it ending in the sort of mid to late November of this year with Everton sat in 12th. Do you think Do you think Frank Lampard will be like a, an ITV World Cup pundit by then? And the first interview will be a kind of softball about what went wrong at Everton and then the rest of the time no one will ever mention it again. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> maybe like, maybe he's really, really good and just got it a bit tough at Chelsea because it's a really difficult job. Well, listen, by all no accounts, he's, a, he's, a, he's an intelligent man. Um, I did read uh, earlier this week that um, the Everton were, were extremely impressed by his, um, by his interview for the job as well and by his... Um, 
the expectations he set out and what he said he intended to do with the club. He gets a rough time from me purely because of being part of that um, that carousel, which I find irritating. But I don't, you know, don't know. But him. Joe, do you, when you, when you the thing is, is when he interviews for that job. Who's holding that interview? Who who is he impressing? Farhad. Mashiri? I assume it's Farhad Moshiri. Oh, but where's the kind of the football expertise in that room? Like uh, uh, maybe Duncan Ferguson was part of the part of the interview process. Well, possibly, I have no I, idea. I, I wouldn't have thought so because I think Duncan Ferguson wanted the job himself. So it would be strange. I mean, maybe, sure, but um, sure. it feels like if you're going to make a good managerial appointment, then you need the person that is able to stand whatever's being pitched up they, they have to kind of examine the sort of the proposed strategy and check it for viability but also you know see I guess whether, I guess the uh, point uh, I'm making yeah. is we we did our 10 minutes of slating Lampard and now I'm saying do you remember when um, we all said Arteta was going to be gone in a month's time and sure. now he looks better managers players always have the the opportunity to turn it round uh, I would hope for the sake of Everton fans that the appointment is a is a good one I have my doubts do you think maybe though that if you if you were to kind of compare Lampard to Arteta, a little bit apples and oranges, but Arteta, you got the sense that Arteta did some kind of apprenticeship, whereas Frank Lampard, uh, I feel like he did okay with Derby. They, they had moments during that championship season. I don't think it was a failure at all. It just didn't work out as um, as it might. Some of the of six, seven out of ten performance. Chelsea was uh, you know better than that. I think in the first season before it became a little bit of a disaster. But my point is not really to kind of, um, uh, not really. I just, it, it's really more of an issue with Everton. Like, who is making these decisions? And if it is Farhad Mashiri, why is Farhad Mashiri making these decisions? Because um, He's the owner. on the basis, no, but most owners, <laughs> in that situation, most owners no, dedicate yeah. to to kind of people with experience or kind of technocrats. They've all the been game. fired. They've all been fired. They've all been fired. Yeah. And. If you have a history of making bad decisions, why should your next one be any good? That's sure. that's probably my point. No, um, I agree. Frank Lampard's a victim of that in a way because it feels very Everton-y. He might do a yeah. very good job. I, I don't know, but um, it seems like a little bit of a. It seems like a little bit of a, a lunge, a bit of a kind of oh we can't we can't appoint um, Pereira because someone's graffitied something in City Centre and and but they like Lampard so let's just get him in. It, it feels like that, um, which I don't know. It doesn't feel uh, terribly strategic. He's also changed his assistant manager. He's not taking Jody Morris with him, which I think is very interesting because I think assistant mm. managers are very, very important to how um, teams and managers work. They're often. I think Jody Morris wants to strike on his own as a head coach. I think he um, especially a, a very capable one. So yeah, I li- I really like that that term strike out because I, I I think of rather than striking out with a you know physical force with a with a sword or something, I think about uh, you striking out on a lake. You know, oh, yeah. when you push off, pushing off from the bank in your canoe, oh, gliding across the serene surface of the misty lake. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ah, yes, we're back now. And back, yes, indeed, into the warm embrace of AFCON. Lovely stuff. The quarterfinals happened uh, mostly over the weekend there. Semi-final set up for, for, for Wednesday and Thursday. And Seb, one thing we need to tell the listeners is that next week, or at the end of this week, indeed, Sunday, the 6th of February, at uh, roughly 10 p.m., uh, um, uh, GMT will be live streaming the podcast because you're in 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 London, and uh, JJ, you and me will be watching the Afcon final and a couple of other games that day in the Athletics office, and then hitting the live streams to really to really let it flow. Very Euros kind of really takes me back the old live stream. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fun though because I think that the tournament I. I remember people, when the tournament started, a lot of people were very negative about um, some of the football and especially in the first round of group games. Well, there weren't many goals. No, but it was just conservative. And I feel like given the disruption that um, was part of many teams' preparation for the tournament, I felt that was kind of understandable. But I think the tournament's really come to life in the knockout rounds. And it was, um, I missed the Saturday games, unfortunately, but the Sunday games are great and they're full of all kinds of different talking points. And Well, on those Saturday games, uh, we'll come back to the, to the talking points for Sunday's games. Uh, Gambia nil to uh, Cameroon. Both goals, I watched the highlights, both goals from Toko Kambi. The first one, delightful header. Lovely job there. But uh, Cameroon um, uh, making it all the way to the, to the semi-finals there, which I'm sure after the events uh, of last week, which we, which we obviously didn't talk about on last, uh, the last podcast because we recorded before that game had taken place and before the news came out I'm sure uh, it'll be an emotional semi-final for, for Cameroon to reach as well um, Burkina Faso 1 Tunisia 0 um, Awatara scoring and it was also sent off in the game very exciting bit of a surprise result there with Tunisia being knocked out but Burkina Faso have looked really exciting in every game I've seen them in so far in the tournament so it's nice to see them through uh, Sunday's games including Egypt 2-1 Morocco Salah really the heart of that game Seb yeah, obviously, uh, the game's decisive moment came from him, which was, you know, beat a defender down at the, the, uh, the outside and then just played the most perfect ball across the six yard box for Trezeguet to win it in, in extra time. Um, I think the, the takeaway moment from this game, though, probably was the, the free kick that Morocco had, uh, in, uh, I think like the 121st minute. So last chance, goalkeeper comes forward. Everybody's in the box. It's played from, I suppose, um, uh, halfway towards the goal line on the side of the penalty box. And, uh, instead of just putting it in the box, they try and cut it back, and the man who cut, who, who the ball's cut back to uh, gets dispossessed, and what seemed like a dozen Egyptian players just start striding towards the goal, and it's a, it's a, it's like a nine on one, and one of those isn't a goalkeeper, and somehow they don't score. But I, Egypt deserved it. I felt um, it, Morocco. I don't know. There was something a little bit blunt about Morocco in this game. Um, I felt, and yeah, I think. Um, I think when you have a player like Salah and you have a situation where the game becomes really, really tense at 1-1, because that has been a feature of the tournament. You have very, very tense extra time periods, which isn't unusual, but it's still been a feature. You need a, an expressive forward to change the game. And yeah. uh, I'd say Salah's the best player in the world at the moment. And so right place, right time. This um, was the game where but, Morocco's goal came from a penalty, right? Yes, it did. I, yes, the it other did. thing I saw... Uh, <laughs> I thought was very very funny about this game. I think it was Ashraf, uh, Egyptian defender, who brought brought down Hakimi for the penalty. And 
I mean, before he'd even like finished fouling, had already put his hands on his head as if to say, oh dear God, what have I done? The, the referee then took it to VAR. So it wasn't clear, but like it, it was instantly clear from his reaction that he'd committed an offence. Like, he tried to sort of play it off as a, oh, no, it wasn't me. But you could see him instantly covering his eyes with regret. Well, he, 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 went, through a different, he, he went through a few different routines. First of all, he had the kind of the... Um, the Ricardo Carvalho, oh no, nothing, which is sure. the absolute giveaway. And then he went into the kind of um, incredulous response to the idea that there may even be a penalty. And then it seemed to dawn on him that there was VAR at the tournament. And it was, I, I think watching it real time, it was, the only question was, was it inside the box? Rather than, yeah, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. clearly a foul. It just, um, and it was very strange not to see it given, but I think the referee went to VAR just to check the, uh, the position inside, of it. Yeah. And Quite then, an array of human emotions there. Lovely to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, obviously the correct decision to give a penalty um but it was um no it was it was a good game i think morocco have had good moments um ashraf hakimi's had a really good tournament if you haven't seen um if you haven't seen his free kick from the quarterfinals go and have a look at that uh from the um, last 16 sorry go and have a look at that it's absolutely wonderful strike um but yeah they're through to the semis um, well of course uh, egypt winning uh, setting up a huge semi-final between uh, themselves and Cameroon on Thursday, which is uh, no doubt going to be a big blockbuster game. The other quarterfinal, the final quarterfinal, Senegal 3-1 Equatorial Guinea. Senegal hit, hitting their stride now, Seb, as well. Yeah, I mean... It wasn't... Not many goals in the first round for them, but now two, two in the round of 16, three in the quarters. They're starting to, they're starting to click into gear. Yeah, they're not perfect still, and they're still a little bit less than what we expected them to be but this was probably the first performance I've seen where they actually had some proper attacking rhythm and you started to see the kind of the value of, of Sadio Mane in that formation who I, I felt played a slight different role like uh, if you look at his if you look at the goal that he um, if you look at the goal that he creates uh, it's from a sort of almost like a um, like a number 10 pocket position where he played, just chops the ball in behind the defence it's a really really sweet through ball uh, and they were good actually Senegal but um I don't know. Like, I still, I'm still not entirely convinced. I don't know whether it's just the kind of the um, remembering how disrupted their build-up was and the, the kind of the issues they had with COVID, and of course the Manio, uh, the Sadio Mane concussion issue, which yeah, yeah, yeah. I still don't fully understand how he was playing because um, he obviously went to hospital after that yeah. collision in the round before. I don't know how he can be playing so soon afterwards. I don't know enough about it. I'm not saying he shouldn't have been. I just sure, 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 yeah. I don't get the science and the medical aspect of it. But he well, also very like well. deeper, deeper setback as well. Uh, from what I understand, um, Senegal fans not entirely sure that uh, Aliou Cisse is sort of kicked on from where the expectations were a few few years, years ago. Of course, people from watching the World Cup will remember how exciting Senegal were during the during the World Cup. And mm. we talked quite a lot about Aliou Cisse at the time and his tactical setups and preferences. I think there's a kind of general feeling that they haven't quite evolved in the way that um, some supporters' expectations would be. But still, reaching the semi-finals here and setting up uh, a game with Burkina Faso, who have been, I think, for me, like one of the more exciting teams to watch. So both of those semi-finals are going to be very exciting. As I said, the final will be on Sunday the 6th. Um, I think it is... What time is that happening? Around I eight think, o'clock, isn't it? Yeah, it's eight o'clock UK time. So just just quickly on Burkina Faso because I I, I think their victory over Tunisia. Um, I've only seen the highlights of this game, but um, 
I was super impressed with Tunisia's performance and their win over Nigeria because I, I thought Nigeria were the, the, the team of the group stages. I thought they were great. And Tunisia just nullified them completely. I know there's a red card in there. Um, and throughout the group stages, Burkina Faso looked like one of the sides who they've got quite a few interesting players who play behind the forwards. Um, Cyril Bayala is a, is a really interesting player. I picked him out in my uh, AFCON stars column for the, for the Athletic, mm. um, where we tried to kind of um, look beyond the obvious players and... Um, you know, explore the guys that Nerd didn't get up. covered. Nerd it up, exactly. Perfect yeah. way of billing it. Um, mm. So they're a good side and they're, they're, they're not a mug team at all. Uh, no. and they deserve to be where they are. So they're not going to be a, a pushover in this round. JJ, who's your favourite now? Uh, I think Cameroon with home advantage is massive. Yeah. It's probably what it is. I I'm think Senegal... Well, I agree with it. said like Senegal, I don't think quite... They don't seem to have quite clicked. But I think from the, what I've seen of Senegal, that was the best they've played in, um, yesterday. I mean, like, the, the, the highlight for me was the third goal, was that by Salih Cease, the left-back, just charges up. I think it's, I think it may be even from a goal kick or something. It's Is a, it the one where he catches it on his shoulder? Long down, oh, the first touch on the chest. Amazing. He chests it at full speed, and then it's he amazing. gets in behind to set up. Is it Jeju to score, I think? Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what, that's, that's what I would say about it, yes. Also, I, I, I agree. after the game finished, after the game finished um, Sky showed um, Sadio Mane's... 100 Premier League goals and I forgot like how amazing he was until like even a year ago like yeah. he really he really seems to have dropped off a form but some of those goals at Southampton were incredible towards the end of his time there the last season or two that he was with Saints he, I just remember him charging in behind next to Graziano Pella over and over again and scoring those absurd lobbies Very so nice. good at finishing it's so quick, like really devastating with his finishing. And I remember like the year that Liverpool won the league, he was easily in the top three, five players in the world, like easily. And uh, yeah. Well, we'll come to talk about Liverpool again because it's soon reaching the transfer part of the podcast. That's I think that's actually now. <laughs> I think maybe that's actually that's actually happening now. Um, I tell you what, let's go to another break first. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, we're back from the break. Now, there's lots of transfers to to discuss today. Um, we will come to discuss Vlavic and, and Luis Diaz and Bruno Guimaraes. Um, starting, of course, with, with Martial, who's gone on loan to Sevilla uh, for the rest of the season. But before we talk about that, there is, there is one other thing I wanted to, to reference, mostly just because it felt wrong not to reference it at all. And that is, of course, um, Martial's uh, well, Manchester United colleague, Mason Greenwood, who's been arrested on suspicion of of rape and assault and um, United have also confirmed that Greenwood will not be returning uh, or play matches until further notice after images and allegations of abuse made by a woman on Sunday. Now I hope 
listeners will understand why we're not going to talk about that. But it did also feel not. Uh, it also feel wrong not to to reference it at all, as it was um, quite a big uh, topic of uh, discussion over over the weekend. Um, but let's talk about some some transfers instead. Uh, Martial. He's gone alone to severe for the rest of the season, JJ. We talked about him a little bit last week as it related to the to the Edward Wood legacy conversation. A player that came in for an awful lot of money. He was a you know golden boy, as you remembered, and just never quite made it, did he? After all the promise of that first goal in his first uh, his debut performance against Liverpool, he just never really made it. Yeah, um, I, I'm trying to think what even his best position really is. I think it's probably actually as a striker, but he never performs when he does it. So he is probably, you have to push him out onto the wide areas. And then I've never seen him put in the sort of defensive work rate that's needed to defend that sort of bit. He plays like one of these superstars who, like he can turn a match, this is the thing. So Martial has is one of these rare players in the world who can win a match on his own with a 30 second run or dribble, uh, just something he, he can do because he's actually a hugely talented player. But then it's the rest of the game he goes missing and you can't really do it in the positions he's been playing in. Uh, was the golden boy. So obviously came with a huge amount of potential, which is why United signed him for so much money. But his, ne- his numbers were never really very good. I th- like I said, he kind of went missing through games. Sevilla, like, so I'm not sure where he'll play for them. They've got Rafa Mir plays through the middle up front. He's scored six this season in 20 appearances. So I'd, you'd think they're just trying to get someone who can score more for them up the top end of the pitch. Um, they've got decent players around that area, like Jesus Corona can play left and Ocampos as well. He's still only 26 as well, right? I mean, like, theoretically, is Sevilla the kind of club where he could uh, potentially rediscover some form? Well, I think this is... like I think Martial's the kind of player who will be really good in La Liga. It's the kind of league exactly that would suit him. I think uh, Ligue 1 or La Liga is exactly where he should be. It's not quite so physically demanding, but he has a bit more time on the ball. Doesn't have to think about always being the strongest guy in the pitch. He's able to use his guile and just skill, basically, to be able to go around and do things he wants to do. And he gets a bit more time. The defenders aren't quite as brutal as they are in the Premier League. It's not quite so end-to-end. Uh, and he's a half decent team. So it, I remember, like, what's a good example of a player who did really well in um, the league? Like, like Freddie Canute, right? It was sure. amazing. <laughs> just, just didn't really work for him quite so well in the Premier League. Um, but he was obviously a very good player. There's plenty of examples of it, none of which I can remember right now. But some players just suit different leagues, just a lot better than others. I think, like, Donny van de Beek would have done really well if he'd gone to Spain, for example. It's the kind of player, place that would have done well for him. I wonder, I, I think it hinges this one on whether he buys into what Severe are. Because I, I'm one of the, the interesting comparisons might be Lucas Acampos because I, I think before he went to Sevilla, I always thought of him as kind of yeah interesting player like had a you know quite a lot of technical ability and could do nice things, but never thought of him as a consistent producer. Whereas under Lopetegui, he's become exactly that. And Lopetegui, Martial, yeah, well, if Martial can buy into kind of the the culture there, like you've got players like Ivan Rakitic and Jean Jordan and Campos we've talked about. Rafa Mir I actually quite like. I know he's not ever really going to be a prolific goal scorer, but he's a good player. I think it's a really nice, hardworking football team. And if Martial can, yeah, if he can fit in and play possibly off the left-hand side, they've got a few, one of the reasons I think they've gone in for him is because they had so many injuries at the top of the pitch um, that they needed uh, a source of goals. And potentially he could he could find he could end up being a little legal winner. I mean it's it's not beyond the realm of possibility because Severe are very, very well placed going into the second half of the season. Do you remember what position he played in the nineteen twenty season? 
He was a striker, right? Central striker for most of it for United. Felt like he was he was more of a nine than at any other point in his United. Well, yeah, he then. was. I mean, Sol- Solskjaer alternated between him and Rashford at the nine at the nine spot, but uh, Martial certainly started the season there and, and was the favoured of the two. I mean, that was he was seventeen goals and thirty two league appearances that season. Six. That was the season that he that he and Rashford both scored a lot. Uh, Greenwood scored uh, a number in that uh, season as well. I remember the the three of them had um, I think the biggest sort of uh, striker tally total of the club the club had had for a while um and again it, that that was in the f- that was the proper first proper um Solskjaer season wasn't it yeah. yeah but the thing is if you looked at Martial's career if it was on a graph it would be quite flat slowly climbing and then all of a sudden have a big jump there and immediately goes down again and if he's 26 now he should be coming into his peak the sort of player he is that relies on a bit of pace this is his peak now he's not like Lewandowski who can be more static in penalty box poach. He needs to be able to play and run at people. He, 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 I imagine he'll be best receiving the ball, facing the goal, rather than getting it with his back to goal. That's that's what that's how I see him playing. And yeah, if they can get numbers out of him, I mean, obviously he's going to be a very good signing for them because he's potentially a very good player, but it didn't really do it for me. No, okay. Well, plenty of other transfers to discuss as well. Uh, Dusan Vlaovic, Seb, has uh, gone to Juventus. There were lots of rumours connecting him to, to, to clubs in the Premier League as well. But uh, Juventus have, have spent the money big. And we should come back to talk about Juventus actually a little, in a little bit more detail because they've had an interesting window. Um, but, you know, that's a fantastic signing, isn't it? Yeah, Premier goalscorer. Um, he is, I think, absolutely perfect for, for what they're trying to become. It feels as also as if no other team ever really came close. I know there's a lot of talk about... Um, Tottenham and Arsenal but I don't think he was ever likely to go to either um, and yeah like it's um, I'll be interested though because I think it's a as, as a as a sort of personality he's really engaging to watch obviously a very good goal scorer there are aspects to his game which are still in development though like he is not the best uh combination player like if he if he receives the ball anywhere outside the penalty box if his if his job is to um develop the play and this together, find a teammate. He's quite formulaic with some of that work. Not to say it won't improve because he's still very, very young. But if you think about some of the attacking players that are already there, some like um, uh, Palo Dybala uh, on the basis that he doesn't leave today, you know, he's going to have to come a little bit better because he's no longer the, the leading light of Fiorentina. Like he was um, their feature goal scorer. They look like a very different team without him. I watched them just before the um, just before the break, and um, Piontek was playing instead of him while he was sorting out his future. And the drop off was pretty dramatic. Um, Piontek, not such a great player, but um, it's a different. It's a change in status, and whenever a player's status changes, and he moves to a club where there's an underperformance issue anyway, and it feels like there's kind of a transitional period happening. That's a really difficult spot to be in as a £75 million signing. So, great player, but interesting situation. Yeah, let me say, let me say, uh, uh, been to Florence. Lovely place. A sea of terracotta roofs. Yeah, as I saw from the bell tower. Uh, but it is a busy place with lots of tourism. And so if I if I lived there, I'd, I'd leave. Um, there we go. Luis Diaz. I don't, I, listen, I wrote this two days ago. I have no idea what the state of this transfer is now. I wrote, reportedly agrees personal terms with Liverpool. Um, oh, has completed transfer. What an exciting update. Luis Diaz. Now, someone tell me about Luis Diaz here because I don't know anything about him. I think the way to look at him, first of all, like he's going to fit in a Liverpool. He is good without the ball. So kind of the, your prerequisite to play for Jurgen Klopp, even though it's not... Um, 
he's not sort of um, as wedded to his Gagan pressing system as he used to be. Um, we'll press the ball, we'll work hard without it. But he's thrilling as well because with the ball, he if you were to design a, a kind of wide forward specifically to play in the Premier League, you would design Luis Diaz in a kind of weird science type way because really skillful, really dynamic, really adventurous with the ball, loves to shoot from... Um, loves to shoot from distance but also protects the ball when he carries it he's not one of those sort of techniques technique based wingers who uh is easily dispossessed who sure. um leaves himself exposed to tackles and can be you know nullified by a fullback he is a force and i think ah. um i did hear sam ty saying that he tries at least two nutmegs per game he, he does I, I think it's a little bit of a sort of that that statistic about nutmegs a little bit of a distraction or it, it missells him because it makes him sound like a kind of a decadent player he, he meant reality, it in a fun way but you know no no sure. no doubt sam does but i've just seen it across yeah. social media but um to me at least uh we're lucky to get quite a lot of the portuguese league on um the zone over in germany and to me, by far the best player in, in uh, Portuguese football. By far, by far, by far. That's exciting. Uh, I mean, like, if he could have anywhere near the impact that Bruno Fernandes had, being the last sort of, you know, important player in Portuguese football, different player. Yeah, but he's, uh, you know. he's very much, I think, designed to come in and challenge Manny for that left starting spot on the, the forward three. He's 14 goals in 18 league games a season, uh, two in six Champions League games. Uh he is, in case anyone doesn't know who he is at all, he is a 25-year-old Colombian man um, who's been playing for FC Porto for the last mm. while. Uh, yeah, everything Seb said. He also scores many goals for Colombia. But yeah, I'd imagine he comes in and, like we said, Manny's dropped off his form severely. Either he'll rise that challenge and become the Manny of 100 Premier League goals on Sky that I watched, uh, or just get like... like <laughs> Jota seems to have been the boy that was placed Firmino, so that's they're just refreshing the. He'll the finally three. become the Mane he was always supposed to become. Yes. Yeah? <laughs> yes. Okay. Another one, just because we're sort of you know running a bit short on time here, gang. Bruno Guimaraes has moved to Newcastle in a transfer which costs lots of money. Uh, so, so I understand. Similar position. I don't really know much about uh, Bruno Guimaraes. Seb, will you tell me? Yeah, this is a steal. Um, so Gimaresh, to they me, stole him. Like, well, uh, they stole him, but they also left forty-six and a half million pounds on the table after they stole him. So oh. it's, still, it's still in some senses. Yeah. So no one called the police. Fine, carry on. Uh, brilliant with without the ball. Great one-on-one tackler, but also um, and this where does he play? A little bit. Central midfield in the middle. Um, Right, bang in the middle, and he will be the building block around everything that Newcastle's midfield is going to be from this point. He's a great, great player. He's almost like you can forget your um, your Chris Woods and Kieran Trippiers. Like you sign a player like that, it should be enough to keep you up by himself. Um, he's he's that good. Uh, we actually, Alex and I both had him in different sensible transfer videos. Um, I think our, uh, I think we vetoed Alex from putting him in the Newcastle video because I had him in the Spurs video. Wow. Now, I abuse an editorial privilege, what can I say? But we both rate him very, very highly, and I think he'll do extremely well, put it that way. Mm, very exciting. Okay. Well, look out, Watford, Norwich, and Burnley. Van der Beek. Uh, I don't know if this this is uh, apparently supposed to happen today, or at least it sounds like it, it is happening. This is an example of the sort of thing that we could spend time discussing now, and then tomorrow it's not a thing. So, JJ, just a very little brief, just a little drizzle of salt there. Not salt, Van, but well, um, uh, spices. Uh, not, uh, I mean, uh, garnish. Garnish. Van der was amazing at Ajax, like properly, properly brilliant, and was regular in the national team as well. But he suits a team that plays nice possession football, positional play. 
um, and will take like he likes to slow things down and has, hasn't really suited United's uh, end-to-end direct kind of play that they've been trying to do. He just he'll take an extra touch where you don't need it. He'll make the extra pass where you don't need it within mm. a system that works. Like what Ten Hag had at Ajax, he's absolutely brilliant. So um, Lampard at Everton. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't... So there's like a bit of confusion as to what his best position is. It, you think when you look at all his attributes, he'd be really good as a six, but he's not because he gets box to box and likes to get in behind the striker as well. Yeah. So you have to find him out striker, wide. isn't he? Sort of, he's like an eight and a ten combined. So you can play him... If you play a three in the middle of the midfield, he can be one of those and break into the ten space. But, I mean, Lampard... He changed quite a lot with Chelsea, but I think it was mostly a four-two-three-one that he had, and he had the uh, front four would often be in the, the same vertical line. Weirdly, they'd have one, and there'd be a space, and then a three. Uh, it was how Chelsea were. So you had one guy kind of trying to spare on near the touchline, and the other three would try and drag the team over to their side with support from it. It's all we did a bunch of stuff on them, and where all the big gaps were before at Chelsea. Not to say he'll do exactly the same thing at Everton now, uh, but I, I, I would love it to work for Van der Beek, but I just think he needs. I think he needs to move to a different league, it looks like. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'll hurtle through some more. Stop me if you like something, yeah? Here we go. We have, uh, oh, Callum Chambers to Villa. I put on here mostly because it is entirely under the radar, because of a strange example of a transfer these days that isn't, uh, you know, uh, put on social media 72 hours minimum before it happens. That caught everyone by surprise. Um, Ahmad has gone on loan to Rangers. I believe he had his uh, first game there yeah, I watched the him. other day. You watched him? How, how, did he, how did he perform, JJ? He scored very early on, within five minutes, with a, like, a tap in at the back post. Uh, he did a few stepovers. Uh, <laughs> Rangers did he look were, good? He looked all right. Like, he did well, to be fair. Like, he was, oh, someone's ringing my doorbell. Is that your phone? Them. That's your doorbell? That's you go and answer the door. No, you go get it. I want to tell you. No, go get the door. Go get the door. Now he's gone. Let's um, let's discuss him while he's away. Seb, how are you rating JJ's performance on the podcast so far today? I think you know, it could be better. No, I think it's a solid seven out of ten. You know, yeah. he's brushed off that, those early fears about his haircut because I think that's got inside his, ironically, inside his head a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I can see uh, that for sure. He needs to work past that. But by the time I get to England on Sunday, I want him to be, you know, a couple of grades higher up. Just to- yeah, I think it's, you might not know. Yeah, peace. He's giving us the peace sign there. You might not know if you listen to, uh, to, if you don't know JJ that well, but listening to him here, I can really hear the hesitancy in his voice. He is a self-conscious person and he is impacted by, um, you know, bad haircuts. Yeah, I, didn't, I, mean, I actually we, thought his haircut was pretty bad. Would you agree? I, no, I quite liked it. Like, you know, um, as someone, you know, who would like to have haircuts occasionally. Like, yeah. I, I oh, no. Like yeah, that's right. Um, 10 so, out of 10. Uh, 10 yeah, 10 out, out of 10, 10 haircut. 10. Huang He Chan makes the loan uh, to Wolves from Leipzig permanent. And, okay, he's gone again. We can carry on talking about his haircut. That's. Uh... Hey, check this out. Um, this may or may not be done by the time this podcast is out, whatever. Aaron Ramsey's has read a loan deal with Rangers. Oh, with Rangers? Yeah, so to pick up where I was going on, like what was quite funny about the game is that Ross County got points out of Rangers. They were ahead in the first half and then scored in like, the 96th minute, which is fu- it was really funny um, and also very deserved. Uh, and then the thing that was funny about uh, Ahmed Diallo is that his PR Twitter team whatever released a thing yeah. with like, a highlights reel of <laughs> drawing three all in Dingwall. <laughs> with Ross County. Well, you know the old saying so in Scotland, pony. don't you? When Rangers draw with Ross County... A reactionary loan bid for Aaron Ramsey they make. I think that's the old, uh, the old saying. In, in the scrolls, yes. yes. Originally in Latin, though, so you've done well to translate that. Well, you know, 
That'd be amazing. But he's on some enormous amount of money at Juventus because he signed there for free. So I don't know how they'd afford any of that. Like 10% of his wages would be like 40 grand a week. Who could say? Maybe it won't happen. But Huang He Chan does make the loan move to uh, Wolves from Leipzig permanent for £14 million. That's that's fairly exciting based on his performance so far this season. Um, Ericsson has uh, has moved successfully to to Brentford signing a six-month contract. So I'm curious to see... Uh, to see him play there, I think that'll be uh, that'll be fun. What, what a lovely, good news story that is, because we we were all together when what happened happened, and mm. it's just great to see him hopefully play football again. That's just that's great news, great yeah. great news. Well, with that one to be blunt, we thought he was dead, so yeah, that like, he's signing a six month contract. Yeah. With we, we genuinely is great. did. We, um, we yeah. yeah, that was that was a horrible day. That was yeah uh, yeah. Well, all of our best wishes there to Christian Eriksen. Seems like a nice chap. Uh, Kulusevski and Bentancur. To Spurs, Seba, I assume you want to say something about this, will you? Yeah, no, it's good. There's been a little bit of kind of, oh, uh, Fabio Paratici's just gone back shopping at his old club. I, I think they're both good I made players. that joke I think. yesterday. Well, it's kind of, he's absolutely doing that. But at the same time, he in doing that, he is signing two players that will help on him. And Bentecourt is the important one because they needed something in midfield. And Kulusevski, Kulusevski, probably not in a position that they really needed to strengthen ahead of others anyway, but he's very different to all the other forwards that they have. So um, yeah, good job. Need a few other things, but uh, good job so far. Okay. Um, sticking with Spurs, Ndombele to Leon on loan. Has that happened? It will do by the time the podcast is is published. And hey, good moment to plug Stuart James's excellent profile of Jean-Michel Aulas, the long-term Lyon president. Very interesting character, very hard-nosed negotiator, always seems to get what he wants. But Stu's done a terrific job on uh, profiling him. I know why Seb's promoting that. Do you know why? I don't know why. Can you tell because me? Because it was Seb's idea. He suggested it and now someone's done it. So he's said by saying it's really good, he's basically saying, I had a good idea. That's what he's saying. It's kind of good because someone will come back and say, God, what, what a great piece. Who came up with that idea? And then hopefully someone on Twitter will Stu say, James. Oh, Stu James came up with that idea and it was very good. Or the Athletics editorial team. There we go. Before we finish today, this extremely long podcast, uh, let us discuss... A lovely tale. Canada 2, nil USA, nil United States of America. Uh, This is a big story, uh, Seb, and uh, partly because of the performance on the night, um, partly because of the, you know, incredibly miraculous save, as you've written here from the Canadian goalkeeper in the first half, a man who was wearing joggers. (laughs) A man who looked like he'd pulled on his goalkeeping top from the couch with the Cheetos and then hopped into goal just to make that save. Um, but of course, it's, it's, it's an exciting story for more broad reasons than that. Canada top CONCACAF's World Cup qualifying groups, they almost certainly will be going to the World Cup in November, which is their only their second ever World Cup. Um, all the gears were in place, the action was in place to try to build a team towards 2026 when the World Cup will be hosted in North America across Canada, the States and Mexico. But we'll be getting a little four-year precursor to that with a very exciting team, not just those two stars. No, it feels as if uh, they're coached by a guy called John Herdman, who used to be the uh, head coach of the Canadian women's team, a very mm. successful Canadian women's team, guy from County Durham, uh, interesting character. It's the only time I can think of where someone has crossed over directly after coaching a women's team to a national men's team. I don't, 
I'm happy to be corrected, but I, I can't think of any other examples. But he's built a team which is uh, around the strengths of his players, which makes perfect sense. They're kind of pretty good defensively. They've also got a couple of forwards at the top in Jonathan David and Carl Laren, who Jonathan David people know because of what he's done at Lille, um, obviously kind of um, developing player of the future, but also a very good one at the moment. Carl Laren, a little bit of a less known guy until... He was fundamental to Besiktas winning the the Turkish title last season. He had an excellent season, full of in a team full of like odd players, like um, uh, George Kevin and Kodo, the former Spurs player. Like it was, a, it was a little bit of um, a Vida, the um, the old Croatian centre half. Like it was a strange team, but he was. I to be fair, I think he was the difference maker, and he scored a great goal uh, against the USA. Just uh, played on on goal. It's kind of counter counter press situation. Um, but Canada fully deserved it. The US, apart from that save we've referenced from the goalkeeper, looked a little bit like Gabor Kure, the old, um, do you remember him, the old Palace goalkeeper? Mm. Um, he plays for the Hungarian international. Um, he, yeah, Canada weren't really ever in any trouble and they got their second goal deep into stoppage time. Also yeah. a very nice goal, by the way. And what a story. Because you, Well, you they'll feel be like- celebrating with their poutine now, won't they, the Canadian boys? After they poutine the ball to the goal oh, net. Oh, there we go. They eh? poutine the ball twice. Yeah. And, By the way, if you, uh, what um, else? What else about you, Canada? If you, if you want to find the highlights of this game, uh, find the one from the uh, Canadian Football YouTube channel because it's the only time I've ever heard a commentator uh, break into a little giggle after yeah. the second clinching goal goes in. It's, <laughs> it's, really quite, it's really quite charming. It's a little bit... It is um, charming. It's a little bit like... Um, He's Canadian man does South American professional football. wrestling. Yeah, um, sure. But uh, it's great fun. It's still great fun. And uh, yeah, obviously got caught up in the moment. And fair enough, you should get caught up in the moment. Yeah. That's what football's for. Well, Ottawa win for them. What, what a Ottawa win for them, yeah? You better... Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's time for us to Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Toronto. <laughs> Toronto. To Toronto. Uh, this podcast has been a Montreal yeah. slog. That's the end of the TFO Football Podcast for this week. Thanks ever so much for listening. Hope you all had a lovely time. Uh, congratulations uh, to Canada, to Senegal, to uh, Egypt. Um, to Cameroon and Burkina Faso Cameroon and to Burkina Faso and indeed to Frank Lampard and congratulations to Richard Arnold and to uh, Vlavic and Luis Diaz and Bruno Guimaraes all the rest of the people as well congratulations to all of those people JJ Bull the Bullard I'll see you in the office soon yes you will and ah Danke schön Herr Stafford Bloor Vielen Dank, Herr Devine. I shall also see you in the office in six days' time. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Until you realise it's a practical joke and we've not in the world be in Germany. <laughs> okay, see you next see you next week, everyone. Bye. Athletic.